if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now at eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Thank you for joining us on AM 1420. The answer. I'm going to get one more phone call in here to start this program or start this hour rather, the second hour of the program on this Wednesday, the 20th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord 2021. Then I want to get back to paying tribute to the outgoing president who did some unbelievably amazing things for the American people in four years, despite the most unprecedented, unholy, evil op- uh, obstacles uh, and obstruction that that has ever existed in the history of the American presidency. He gave a 19-minute farewell speech yesterday. Uh, we put the first five and a half minutes on the air for you in the first hour. I will give you the rest of it coming up. But first, I don't want to make Derek sit there. So, Derek, in Richfield, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, Derek. Good morning. Thank you. Certainly. Um, so, I wanted to express how one thing my wife and I have realized over the past few years that we never felt that we ever had any real choice in who we were voting for as a president. We never felt that we really, that we could, we had a leader or president we could ever believe in until Donald Trump. Uh, please continue, Derek. <clears throat> and, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought yeah. I lost you for a second there. I heard a little bit of a disconnect there. But go ahead and finish your thought on, on uh, the first president we could believe in. Just that, that I don't, we never felt that we really had any real choice outside of, it was always the same, someone in the Washington establishment, and, and just how good it felt, you know, that we actually had a leader that we could believe in and look up to. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, if if that's your only point, then I'll respond to it, and I understand it, Derek. There are a lot of people who felt like uh, that President Trump, and thank you for the phone call, uh, that um, President Trump was the first one they made a connection with, and the reason why is because he was an outsider. He was not a career politician. He mentioned that in his remarks, in his uh, you know 19-minute speech, how he's the first one to come along who is not a career politician. He was a builder and a private citizen, and uh, yeah, he was a celebrity, and yeah, he was a multi-billionaire, so he's not like your next-door neighbor. But you felt like he was. He talks like he, you, you know, you do and I do. He doesn't speak with the perfect, well-chosen words all the time the way, you know, the, you know, the uh, career politicians do. Um, you know, he's just the kind of guy you feel like, you know, you 
toss them a can of beer on the back patio while you're barbecuing, and you can sit there and shoot the breeze with him. Cuss a little bit. Yeah, he cusses. Yeah, we know that. Uh, he's, He's a little bit graphic. He's a little bit flawed. He's a little bit rough edged. And his, his personality isn't for everyone, but it was for a lot of people. It was for a lot of us because he felt, made it feel like this is somebody we could relate to. So I get your point. I really do. Um, and that's not to say there haven't been great Republican presidents and even some decent Democrat presidents because there have been. But you're right. He was different in the way he came across, and it, it, I think it really did garner a lot of respect simply because you felt like you were talking to somebody who understood you, and that was a big part of it. So I appreciate that. Because, look, like I said, it's Inauguration Day. They're, the media is going to be fawning over Joe Biden uh, being the 46th president. And while they fawn over a man who is the recipient of a stolen election, I am going to spend my time thanking and paying gratitude and respect to the outgoing president who did things that nobody ever thought were possible uh, in four short years against a an unbelievable, unprecedented wave of attacks and derangement. And that's literally what it was. Trump derangement syndrome. We talked about that for a very long time, and that's exactly what it was. Uh, and his his achievements uh, will, will go down, I think, in history. As I said before, I think he will be remembered much better uh, for much longer uh, for his great accomplishments. His legacy will far outlive uh, him and us. Right now, the hatred is there. They're going to try to impeach him for a second time, et cetera, et cetera, where we know that. But long, you know, in, in, into the distant future, people are going to look back at what Donald Trump was able to do, to do, especially sandwiched in between the Obama-Biden years and now the Harris-Biden years. And, yeah, I'm going to keep referring it to that way. And and the socialism that that you know, administration represents and has trumpeted, et cetera, that's what they're doing. Uh, you know, they, they're literally trying to change this country, and history will remember Donald Trump in the middle of that, sandwiched in between that. He restored American greatness, American exceptionalism, American pride, American jobs, an American economy, uh, America's uh, wonderful uh, beacon of, of peace around the world, fostering peace accords in the Middle East that no president has ever been able to achieve since Israel came into existence. I mean, all of those things history will record as being much better than what the present-day mainstream media will tell you President Trump did. So with that, as I said, I want to continue the president's farewell speech given yesterday. The whole world suffered, but America outperformed other countries economically because of our incredible economy and the economy that we built. Without the foundations and footings, it wouldn't have worked out this way. We wouldn't have some of the best numbers we've ever had. We also unlocked our energy resources and became the world's number one producer of oil and natural gas by far. Powered by these policies, we built the greatest economy in the history of the world. We reignited America's job creation and achieved record low unemployment for African Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, women, Almost everyone. Income soared, wages boomed, the American dream was restored, and millions were lifted from poverty in just a few short years. It was a miracle. Stock market set one record after another with 148 stock market highs during this short period of time and boosted the retirements and pensions of hardworking citizens all across our nation. 401ks 
are at a level they've never been at before. We've never seen numbers like we've seen. And that's before the pandemic and after the pandemic. We rebuilt the American manufacturing base, opened up thousands of new factories, and brought back the beautiful phrase, made in the USA, to make life better for working families. We doubled the child tax credit and signed the largest ever expansion of funding for child care and development. We joined with the private sector to secure commitments to train more than 16 million American workers for the jobs of tomorrow. When our nation was hit with the terrible pandemic, we produced not one, but two vaccines with record-breaking speed, and more will quickly follow. They said it couldn't be done, but we did it. They called it a medical miracle, and that's what they're calling it right now, a medical miracle. Another administration would have taken three, four, five, maybe even up to 10 years to develop a vaccine. We did it in nine months. We grieve for every life lost, and we pledge in their memory to wipe out this horrible pandemic once and for all. When the virus took its brutal toll on the world's economy, we launched the fastest economic recovery our country has ever seen. We passed nearly $4 trillion in economic relief, saved or supported over 50 million jobs, and slashed the unemployment rate in half. These are numbers that our country has never seen before. We created choice and transparency in healthcare, stood up to Big Pharma in so many ways, but especially in our effort to get favored nations clauses added, which will give us the lowest prescription drug prices anywhere in the world. We passed VA choice, VA accountability, right to try, and landmark criminal justice reform. We confirmed three new justices of the United States Supreme Court. We appointed nearly 300 federal judges to interpret our Constitution as written. For years, the American people pleaded with Washington to finally secure the nation's borders. I am pleased to say we answered that plea and achieved the most secure border in U.S. history. We have given our brave border agents and heroic ICE officers the tools they need to do their jobs better than they have ever done before and to enforce our laws and keep America safe. We proudly leave the next administration with the strongest and most robust border security measures ever put into place. This includes historic agreements with Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, along with more than 450 miles of powerful new wall. We restored American strength at home and American leadership abroad. The world respects us again. Please don't lose that respect. We reclaimed our sovereignty by standing up for America at the United Nations and withdrawing from the one-sided global deals that never served our interests. And NATO countries are now paying hundreds of billions of dollars more than when I arrived just a few years ago. It was very unfair. We were paying the cost for the world. Now the world is helping us. And perhaps most importantly of all, with nearly $3 trillion, we fully rebuilt the American military all made in the USA. We launched the first new branch of the United States Armed Forces in 75 years. 
the Space Force. And last spring, I stood at Kennedy Space Center in Florida and watched as American astronauts returned to space on American rockets for the first time in many, many years. We revitalized our alliances and rallied the nations of the world to stand up to China like never before. We obliterated the ISIS caliphate and ended the wretched life of its founder and leader, al-Baghdadi. We stood up to the oppressive Iranian regime and killed the world's top terrorist, Iranian butcher Qasem Soleimani. We recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and recognized Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. As a result of our bold diplomacy and principled realism, we achieved a series of historic peace deals in the Middle East. Nobody believed it could happen. The Abraham Accords opened the doors to a future of peace and harmony, not violence and bloodshed. It is the dawn of a new Middle East, and we are bringing our soldiers home. I am especially proud to be the... I'll stop it there so that we can continue. We'll take our time out here at 1020, and I'm going to give you the rest of it. It's about seven minutes more of President Trump highlighting what has been a remarkable, remarkable four years in office, again, in the face of the most daunting opposition in the history of this country. The rest of President Trump's remarks as he exits office today, coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's 1024. I should have just about enough time here to give you the rest of the president's farewell speech as we say thank you to President Donald J. Trump for four years of restoring American greatness. Here we go. The first president in decades who has started no new wars. Above all, we have reasserted the sacred idea that in America, the government answers to the people. Our guiding light, our North Star, our unwavering conviction has been that we are here to serve the noble, everyday citizens of America. Our allegiance is not to the special interests, corporations, or global entities. It's to our children, our citizens, and to our nation itself. As president, my top priority, my constant concern, has always been the best interests of American workers and American families. I did not seek the easiest course. By far, it was actually the most difficult. I did not seek the path that would get the least criticism. I took on the tough battles, the hardest fights, the most difficult choices, because that's what you elected me to do. Your needs were my first and last unyielding focus. This, I hope, will be our greatest legacy. Together, we put the American people back in charge of our country. We restored self-government. We restored the idea that in America, no one is forgotten because everyone matters and everyone has a voice. We fought for the principle that every citizen is entitled to equal dignity, equal treatment, and equal rights because we are all made equal by God. Everyone is entitled to be treated with respect, to have their voice heard, and to have their government listen. You are loyal to your country, and my administration was always loyal to you. We worked to build a country in which every citizen could find a great job and support their wonderful families. We fought for the communities where every American could be safe and schools where every child could learn. We promoted a culture where our laws would be upheld, our heroes honored, 
our history preserved, and law-abiding citizens are never taken for granted. Americans should take tremendous satisfaction in all that we have achieved together. It's incredible. Now, as I leave the White House, I have been reflecting on the dangers that threaten the priceless inheritance we all share. As the world's most powerful nation, America faces constant threats and challenges from abroad. But the greatest danger we face is a loss of confidence in ourselves, a loss of confidence in our national greatness. A nation is only as strong as its spirit. We are only as dynamic as our pride. We are only as vibrant as the faith that beats in the hearts of our people. No nation can long thrive that loses faith in its own values, history, and heroes. For these are the very sources of our unity and our vitality. What has always allowed America to prevail and triumph over the great challenges of the past has been an unyielding and unashamed conviction in the nobility of our country and its unique purpose in history. We must never lose this conviction. We must never forsake our belief in America. The key to national greatness lies in sustaining and instilling our shared national identity. That means focusing on what we have in common, the heritage that we all share. At the center of this heritage is also a robust belief in free expression, free speech, and open debate. Only if we forget who we are and how we got here could we ever allow political censorship and blacklisting to take place in America. It's not even thinkable. Shutting down free and open debate violates our core values and most enduring traditions. In America, we don't insist on absolute conformity or enforce rigid orthodoxies and punitive speech codes. We just don't do that. America is not a timid nation of tame souls who need to be sheltered and protected from those with whom we disagree. That's not who we are. It will never be who we are. For nearly 250 years, in the face of every challenge, Americans have always summoned our unmatched courage, confidence, and fierce independence. These are the miraculous traits that once led millions of everyday citizens to set out across a wild continent and carve out a new life in the Great West. It was the same profound love of our God-given freedom that willed our soldiers into battle and our astronauts into space. As I think back on the past four years, one image rises in my mind above all others. Whenever I traveled all along the motorcade route, there were thousands and thousands of people. They came out with their families so that they could stand as we passed and proudly wave our great American flag. It never failed to deeply move me. I knew that they did not just come out to show their support of me. They came out to show me their support and love for our country. This is a republic of proud citizens who are united by our common conviction that America is the greatest nation in all of history. We are and must always be a land of hope, of light, and of glory to all the world. This is the precious inheritance that we must safeguard at every single turn. For the past four years, I have worked to do just that. From a great hall of Muslim leaders in Riyadh to a great square of Polish people in Warsaw, from the floor of the Korean Assembly 
to the podium at the United Nations General Assembly and from the Forbidden City in Beijing to the shadow of Mount Rushmore, I fought for you, I fought for your family, I fought for our country. Above all, I fought for America and all it stands for, and that is safe, strong, proud, and free. Now, as I prepare to hand power over to a new administration at noon on Wednesday, I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. There's never been anything like it. The belief that a nation must serve its citizens will not dwindle, but instead only grow stronger by the day. As long as the American people hold in their hearts deep and devoted love of country, then there is nothing that this nation cannot achieve. Our communities will flourish. Our people will be prosperous. Our traditions will be cherished. Our faith will be strong. And our future will be brighter than ever before. I go from this majestic place with a loyal and joyful heart, an optimistic spirit, and a supreme confidence that for our country and for our children, the best is yet to come. Thank you and farewell. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. Thank you, President Donald John Trump. And we'll be right back. All right, it is 1037, a little bit late coming back. I wanted to give the rest of President Trump's farewell speech to you so that you could really appreciate it, and I think we owe it to the man to uh, salute his accomplishments and his devotion to country and making America great and putting America first on his way out on this inauguration day for the incoming president. Now, we do have to pay a little bit of attention to what's going on. Not necessarily the inaugural ceremony, I could care less. I'm not into celebrating stolen elections, but I am into evaluating what is coming to this country. And one thing that we can say by way of just looking at Joe Biden's incoming cabinet appointments is this is a return to the failed Obama administration policies. He's staffing up the swamp with the same types of members that he worked with as vice president under Barack Obama. And here to uh, break all of that down for us now is Paris Denard, RNC senior communications advisor. Welcome back to Cleveland, Paris. Good to have you back. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Um, so, you know, you, first of all, if you want to make any comments at all before we start talking about the staff members in the cabinet, what is your feeling about what is coming from a Biden-Harris slash Harris-Biden administration, given the list of 17 executive orders that he is apparently going to sign as early as later today, Paris? I think if you are uh, an average American, I think you should be nervous. I think you should be nervous about what's happening because the the way this incoming administration is signaling is that they're not going to be doing things that are going to benefit small businesses. They're not going to be doing things that are going to be helpful to corporations um, by talks of increasing corporate taxes, uh, talks of uh, having uh, more uh, things that are going to keep businesses locked down. Uh, this, this, this administration is coming in, even looking at their uh, appointments are not trying to unite the country. They're not trying to look forward. They're looking backwards. They're looking backwards to the failed policy of the Obama administration by the, by by having policies put in place, executive orders that are going to be signed, and staffers and cabinet members that are going to be selected and appointed and possibly confirmed that are 
hell-bent on advancing an agenda that is the Obama agenda. So let's be very clear about what this is. This is the third term of the Obama administration. This and let's be very clear about who's in charge. It's not Joe Biden. It is the radical elements of the Democrat Party, AOC, Speaker Pelosi, uh, and all the other people who wrote his platforms and, and wrote his policies and are pushing this agenda and making these appointments. Uh, they are the ones that are guiding what's happening. And we should be very cautious about how we look at what this administration is doing. Paris, many analysts and pundits um, are saying that it's only a matter of time before what you just said is even more true when you say this party is being run and this administration is being run by the radical fringe of the uh, of the Democrat Party, the AOCs, etc. Um, what say you about how long Joe Biden lasts before they make a move to put Kamala Harris, who is much more in line with the AOC, Bernie Sanders, far-left socialist stuff, than the, uh, you know, kind of historically more moderate, I don't think he is anymore, but the more historically moderate Joe Biden. Do you think he's going to last a full term? I, look, I, I don't know. He's joked around about catching some disease and <laughs> and, you know, turning it over to uh, Senator Harris, uh, then Sen- uh, Vice President-elect Harris. So uh, I, I don't know. Um, but I, I, I don't think that we should think that it's going to have to take him being removed or him leaving in order for them to get what they want in terms of enacting the policy. Uh, Vice President-elect Harris has already said that she plans on having a, 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 a different type of role, expansive role in her, in her position. And so I think that we should look to this administration that's coming in as one that is going to listen a lot to the radical left. This is going to be part of, it, of, of the, the, the internal political civil war that they're going to go through. The identity of the Democrat Party, because right now there's no boogeyman. There's no, there's no political boogeyman. There's no President Trump. There's no Republican Party in power, uh, in political power to point the finger at. They control the House, the Senate, and the presidency, the White House, and all federal government agencies and entities. So they are 100% in charge. And so the, the radical elements, the ones that are pushing socialism and the ones that may, if there are moderates that still exist in the Democrat Party, they're going to be uh, at, a, at, a, at a point. And then you have, to, you have to also add in there the elements on the ground, your Black Lives Matter, your environmentalists, your all of those people who are all these activists who they've been empowered uh, to do things. If they don't get what they want, they're going to be coming to them as well. So this is not beginning an administration in strength, not to mention that they're still pushing uh, impeachment and and, and wanting to strip President Trump of essentially having Secret Service protection. I mean, that's where where we've gone. So that's not about unity. This is about a lot of discord. And the Democrat Party is going to face a reckoning. We're talking to Paris Denard. He's an RNC senior communications advisor, and you're a thousand percent right. It's not about unity. It's lip service about unity, but we all know that they are trying to uh, split this country along racial lines, along all kinds of different lines. And yes, uh, what you just said about impeachment, they, that in, that's intending to make 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump even more alienated than they felt before. Let's talk about some of these cabinet picks. Um, let's talk about Alejandro Mayorkas, who is the DHS Homeland Security pick. This is a guy who served in the Obama administration. He was deputy DHS secretary and the director of citizenship and immigration services. Um, 
Joe Biden has already said he is going to immediately move for the legalization status of 11 to 20 million illegal aliens who are already here and citizenship status in an eight-year plan. Um, Alejandro Mayorkas uh, is the perfect guy if you are going to surrender American sovereignty based on his history in DHS. What does his appointment tell you? It tells me that this uh, the, the, the time for putting America and Americans first uh, American citizens first is, is gone. The, the priority of the incoming administration is to first take care of people who are here illegally. And you have a caravan of people who are trying to get in mm-hmm. uh, and, and have been quite uh, aggressive in, in uh, from Honduras. Uh, so this is, this is the focus right now. I already heard talks about stopping the border wall, which has been successful. This is, which is an issue of national security. And so when you have an appointment like uh, the gentleman that, that, that you just named, uh, Mayorkas, coming in, it, it's a problem. It's a problem because you have uh, an ABC investigation that revealed that DHS, while he was there, ignored pointed warnings from federal agents and approved visas for immigrants suspected of having committed fraud, money laundering, and even one applicant with alleged ties to a child porn website. So there's there's negligence there. So it questions the judgment of these people that they're going to put in power again. Why would you, why would you put these people in power once again when, 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 when you know that what they did before was, was problematic for the American people? Yeah. And I, 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 I think it's a problem. And, I think, and the other thing is, and I'll be very brief, mm-hmm. the rush to get these people into office the rush to get them approved, the rush to not having full confirmation, you know, aired out and long and giving substantive thought and probative questions is also very uh, unnerving to me. Yeah, and to me as well, I find it amazing that Mayorkas and other DHS officials, as well as, uh, you know, Biden himself, are, are going to, uh, you know, immediately call for an end to the building of the wall. They haven't said they're going to destroy any of the 450 miles that have been built already, but that they want an end to it. And they're going to do this, uh, Paris, just a few hours after they themselves stood behind a makeshift wall that was built to protect the inauguration. They're there today behind fencing and barbed wire, which was constructed to keep threats out of the inauguration ceremony area. Now, I, I'm not saying that's wrong, but what I'm saying is they obviously believe that physical structures and barriers can keep dangerous people out of, of other areas, and yet they want to destroy the progress that President Trump has been making on the border wall, which is intended to do the exact same thing. The hypocrisy of there just can't be, you know, can't be un, un, you know, unstated. Well, you're absolutely right, and we've seen that hypocrisy uh, throughout the entire campaign, and we've seen it, through, and I think we're going to see more of it, because remember, they are in power now. They're in charge, and, and the role of the Republican National Committee and Republicans and pe- persons like you who are going to hold them accountable is to call them out on it and make sure that the American people and force the mainstream media to actually explain some of these things that, go- that are going on. Why is it in America we have 25,000 uh, troops in, in the nation's capital for an inauguration ser- to, uh, event that doesn't really have to go on. They could have had it behind closed doors, inside the Capitol, inside the White House. There's no need to do this, but they wanted to do it. And so because they wanted to do it, they justified having more troops here than we have in Afghanistan, 
uh, and having uh, all of this barricades and walls to go up because they wanted to, and so they justify it. We've got to call them out because this is just the beginning of hypocrisy, double standards, and foolishness that this administration, I believe, is going to engage in. Paris Denard is our guest. Uh, Paris, last question for you as it pertains to the yeah. staff and the appointees that uh, that Joe Biden is, has already made public. Anthony Blinken is a longtime uh, Democrat. He was the Secretary of State nominee, or is the Secretary of State nominee, rather, who has already served by Biden for, for uh, five years. From 2008 to 2013, he was the National Security Advisor to the Vice President. That period of time was, quite simply, to to put it bluntly, devastating for America. For this guy to be our voice, our envoy to the rest of the world, considering what he advised and did not advise to happen uh, in terms of uh, the raid to get Osama bin Laden, uh, the way that he and they, talking about Joe Biden, uh, endorsing China's one-child policy. I mean, this guy has been there next to Biden as they have made virtually every wrong decision internationally when it comes to foreign policy in the entirety of the Obama administration, and now he's going to be the Secretary of State. How is he going to stand up to China? How is he going to continue the work that President Trump has done in order to level level the playing field and to kind of equal the trade imbalance that we used to have with China? How's he going to stand up to the Chinese communists when he has a history of essentially acceding to the Chinese communists? Uh, this man on the wrong side uh, on issues when it comes to China, Syria, uh, when it comes to Russia, when it comes to uh, Iran. And so there's no question in my mind that he's not going to be standing up to China because I believe that they're compromised in terms of what uh, they can do. Because they, when you look at the record that, that they have, that he has in particular, uh, when it comes to China and others, it, 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 there's no evidence that they're going to be tough on China the way the Trump administration was. And that should give us great pause that a person that was on the wrong side of all of these things is now going to be in the top diplomatic role uh, for the United States of America. It's a problem. It's not going to be good. And and I hope that the media and all of the people in the national security realm are going to be have a close watch on how we how we do this because the the things that we did internationally keeping the peace restoring American sovereignty and, and not having wars were all because of the Trump administration's willingness to stand tall for America and put Americans first and hold China accountable, especially when it comes to this virus that, that was brought here because of China. We need to have an administration that's going to be tough on them, especially because of what they did with this, this, with this virus that has totally decimated many small businesses and small business owners in America. Yeah, and Tony Blinken, by the way, also was in the State Department when the quote-unquote red line that Obama and Biden drew uh, for for the Syrians uh, was completely, you know, bungled and mismanaged because uh, they went ahead and crossed that red line and we did nothing. It emboldened our enemies in Syria. It emboldened our enemies throughout the broader Middle East. And uh, I am terrified after we have decimated ISIS and decimated uh, the threat of most of the threats, rather, of uh, radical Islamic terrorism coming from the Middle East to see it rebuilt now, um, as we uh, you know, put a new administration in charge with a Tony Blinken as Secretary of State that is uh, absolutely complicit in what has happened previous. Paris Denard, uh, RNC Senior Communications Advisor. Paris, thank you for your expertise and your analysis. We appreciate it, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. I hope so, too. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, it's 1051. We'll get our final time out here and come back. 
Uh, listen, I, I want to use the last segment here for a couple of phone calls, if we can make them uh, quickly at 216-901-0945. What message would you like to give President Trump on his way out the door? I spent most of the show today giving him my message. What's yours? Let's take your calls next on AM 1420 The Answer. So it's ten fifty four. Um, wrapping it up here on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. I just I just clicked on my Facebook page because I told you before uh, in the first hour, actually right before the show started, I just gave a little farewell message to President Trump. Very simple, very short. It's just said on Facebook, uh, and I'm surprised it hasn't been deleted yet. I said, "Thank you, President Trump. Your incredible accomplishments in the face of unprecedented obstruction will outlive us all." And I wrote that uh, with a blue background. Now, if you, do, if you use Facebook, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you don't. So I'll do my best. Um, when your message is short enough, you know, it's got like a character count or a space limit, your words can be in big, bold, white font on any number of background colors that Facebook leaves you there as an option, okay? And there are just plain primary colors, and then there are things with designs on them, and then there are things with little emojis on them, and all kinds of things, right? Now, it used to be that they always had the primary color ones available to you. There's a royal blue background. There is a ruby red, or not even ruby, more like a candy apple red, or or whatever you want to call it, fire engine red. There's a, a you know a green. You know, there's an orange, there's a yellow. They, those things, not that those are primary, but you get the point. But those things were always available to you. And the reason I'm bringing this up is when I posted my message to President Trump, I once again had to choose the blue background. And the reason why is because of what I've mentioned in a subsequent post on Facebook, which is just a few, you know, about 20 minutes ago. I had to choose blue because red was not available to me. Red has not been made available as a background color that that fire engine red that they used to have has been not not been made as a background color available to you as an option for over a year going back into the presidential election cycle the presidential campaign now i have not heard facebook comment on this but my suspicions are shared by many other people online they removed the red background option on facebook simply because the white font that goes over it made it look like a MAGA hat. And I know this to be true also because it's deliberately why I used to choose my red background font when I was posting certain messages, or excuse me, my red background with the white font over it when I was posting my messages because I liked it. It Red represented Republicans, as we know, red state, blue state, and red hat, White font rep- represented the MAGA hat. I used to use it all the time for that reason. Over a year ago, during the presidential campaign, they eliminated that as an option, and it's still gone. I would be willing to bet that within two weeks of the Trump administration coming to an end and Biden being sworn in today, that will return because Trump will no longer be a figure that matters. But that's the reason I had to choose a blue background and I chose a green background because the red is gone. Why am I bringing all that up? Because when I talk about unprecedented obstruction, 
I mean unprecedented obstruction from political opponents from the other party to political opponents within his own party, the Never Trumpers, to a mainstream media that forgot what journalism even was for the last four years. And this is even with the full knowledge that they treated George W. Bush horribly from 2000 to 2008. They upped their game to working directly for the DNC and directly against Donald Trump and the United States of America to a level that had never been before seen to the social media companies. How petty has the anti-Trump narrative been? How petty has the anti-Trump movement been? They literally won't allow conservatives to have a red background representing Republican, representing the MAGA hat. Watch and see if that doesn't come back. Watch and see if it doesn't become available, or it isn't available in two weeks or so, after the Trump administration is gone and Biden is in full swing. And by the way, if you're looking for another example of that, how the media, both social and traditional, is changing, the executive editor of the New York Times tweeted yesterday when Joe Biden arrived uh, at uh, Joint Andrews uh, base that he got chills. Shades of Chris Matthews tingles up his, up, up his leg when Barack Obama spoke. Chills for Joe Biden. Hatred and disgust for Donald Trump. That's your media. All right, that's all the time that I've got. Thanks to everybody for being a part of the show. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.